And so get your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 16 as we continue in this study that our pastor has begun for us. He was, uh, worked his way up through chapter 14 uh, last week, and so we're going to move on into 16. <clears throat> After three times of talking, my, my, I have an old voice now, and it's start, starting to weaken on me, so uh, help me out. But one of the things about reading the first five books of the Bible, when you read through the Pentateuch, um, it, it can become very strange. Uh, there's these seemingly discon disjointed stories. Here they come. Thank you all so much. But you have these seemingly disjointed stories, and you'll have some genealogies thrown in there from time to time, that if you're reading the Bible through, you'll come to the, some of these places and go, I just don't understand why this is here. Uh, then you come across these laws that are uh, of instructions that are given. But when you read it as a whole and you begin to see it as a whole, you'll see that it is strategically designed, strategically arranged. There is an intelligence behind the arrangement of these words of the first five books of the Bible, and it sets the course for the rest of Scripture to speak to those first five books, the things that we learn from there. But included in that narrative included in those genealogies and included in all of those laws that we have, you'll see spaced every once in a while a poem that is a song. And so we made it through the first 14 chapters of Exodus. And chapter 15 is one of those songs that's placed. It's after the crossing of the Red Sea, Moses and Miriam, they sing this song of praise to God for that which they've just experienced. And it's a bit like watching a musical. And you're watching this musical and there's this narration of a story that is going along and perhaps you know the storyline. There's a guy and a girl, and you, you as a viewer, you're hoping that they're going to find each other, and they barely miss each other. This happens, and that happens, and you're watching this, knowing that they're supposed to be together, but are they going to be together? And finally, in the movie, there's that time where they are together, and then they break out in song. Oh, it's beautiful. If you're a girl, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It, it's beautiful to you to watch this and to see this song, but then it comes to, at that moment that right after that, there's a crisis. Something comes up, and what it looks like they're going to not be together, and you're worried about this, and there's this crisis that happens. Well, as you read through the Pentateuch, the first five books. And you read to this narration 
You go through these moments and then you have these songs that are placed there, strategically placed. Genesis chapter 49 is one of those songs that's expressed. It is a prophecy of the 12 tribes. And in that, there is a prophecy that from, sept, from, the, from Judah, the scepter will not depart. And in Exodus 15, there's this song that expresses the joy of the deliverance that they've had as they've crossed the Red Sea and their enemy has been destroyed and now they stand on the other side and they're free. There is in that song a line that says, and he will reign forever. Then you move over into Numbers chapter 24. There's a song that's there that speaks again how that Judah, from the line of Judah, there will be this one who will reign. And so these songs are placed as you go through the Pentateuch, and they're kind of like sewing together all of this narrative together, all of these laws, all of these genealogies. It brings it together with a theme that is moving through of that of looking for that eternal king who will reign. So these things are there for us to see. So we come to chapter 16, which is that crisis moment. They've made it across the Red Sea. Now they're on the other side. They're making their journey, and they come to the crisis of lack of water and lack of food. And so they cry out in those moments, after they've seen God's gracious provision for them, they cry out in that moment, needing to have the provision of food. God knew this. He could provide, but he waited for them to come to that crisis moment, for them to decide, to say, what, what are we going to do here? Because he's going to put them to a test. And so God graciously fed a physical hunger for their needs. So look at chapter 16. Look at verse 4. We'll begin there and just read a couple of verses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So then Moses and Aaron said to the people, God is going to provide this promised bread from heaven. It's going to be graciously given to you. But it was a test for them to see, because it was not a test for God to see, because he, of course, knows, but it was a test for them to see that God would provide how much will they trust. How much will they trust what God is going to do for them? How well will they trust? How obedient will they be? And they would see that when they are disobedient, what were the consequences of that? Because as they move as a people, as they move toward the promised land, as they carry with them eventually the laws and that which they would live as a people, there would be those moments where they would say, are we going to obey? Are we going to trust in what he does? So God promised bread from heaven. 
Well, the second thing that we see in this passage of Exodus 16 is the fact that God graciously fulfilled this promise. He fulfilled this promise. If you look at verse 13, in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it. Then look at verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. If you take the Hebrew word, what, and what is it, it sounds like manna, manna, uh, or the word at that time. It's had that sound. And so that's the name they gave to it. What is it? Manna. I have a friend whose father, um, years and years and years ago, had uh, his family lived near a military camp. And this was during World War I the Great War. And in that war, they brought in thousands of young men to be trained at these camps that were not prepared for the numbers that would be there. So they placed these soldiers in the homes of people who lived nearby, in the residence. And so this man that I knew as an elderly man talked about being a little boy and having this, these soldiers in their home. One of those soldiers who made it home safely after the war, the mother of that soldier sent a letter back to that house to thank them for their provision and graciously providing. And in that letter was a request for the recipe for Hottons. And the people in that house go, what is this? Hottons. And they kept thinking, what is this? And finally, they realized it was biscuits. This guy from up north came down in the house, and they would have this wonderful breakfast. And then she would reach, go and get into the oven and come back with a pan and say, would you like another hotten? <laughs> and so he goes home after the war, and says to his mother, you need to get the recipe for Hottons. <laughs> so he said for the rest of the time, growing up in that home, they were no longer called biscuits, they were called Hottons. You've been there, every one of y'all, they've been there. Got a pan? You know what a Hotton is. So that's what they did. They came and they said, what is it? What is this stuff? Manna. And that became the name. So God promised bread from heaven. God graciously fulfilled that promise, and, but it was a temporary bread. Look at verse 35. Then the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to the habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. This particular verse is an insert 
into the text, the original text as we go along, by someone uh, later who's giving an explanation. Because at this point, Moses did not know it's going to be 40 years that this bread would last. This was the beginning before they had disobeyed uh, and not gone into the land. And now then we're told they would walk for 40 years. But for 40 years, they received this bread every morning or this manna every morning. And every morning, they would open up their tent, they would go out, and it was a test. Okay? God has graciously provided for this day. We take into our tent that which he has provided for this day. Those who didn't trust, it may not be there tomorrow. I'm going to take a little more, just in case. They would get to their tent, and at the end of that day, that which was more than they needed would rot. It would spoil. It would begin to smell. And everyone knew the people in tent seven, their tent, they got too much, and it stinks. And so they learned not to do that. But on the sixth day, they were together for two days because on the Sabbath, they would not, it would not be there, and they would not gather. So they would gather. But there were some who said, well, I'm not going to get more than I need because my tent's going to smell if I get too much. But then they'd get up on the Sabbath, they'd look at it, it wouldn't be there. And so this happened for 40 years. And you would think that that was all well and good. Hey, we got the manna that we eat. I mean, I, I just thought of this a little while ago, and so do not take this to the bank. But, you know, they had the cattle and the livestock. I'm sure the cattle and the livestock, they consumed. It was something that, that they all received, and it was a daily feeding that they had. So you would think that that was great. A verse I don't have on the screen is Numbers chapter 21, verse 5. I would encourage you to turn to Numbers chapter 21, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers 21, verse 5. It says, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Some of your translations may have the word meager, meager food, hollow food. Our sin is a personal affront to a personal God. Here, a personal God has personally promised that you would have food every day. I will provide for you the manna every day. And they go out and they see that and they say it is Meager food. I mean, what do you do with manna for 40 years every day? Oh, there it is again. Don't step on it. You know, they're, they're getting it and they're bringing it in. I mean, you could take some of that manna, I guess, and you could give it to a southern cook down in Andalusia and she could add some lard and some nuts and mix it together and make manna bread out of it. Or I guess you, she could take it and get some cream and some honey, mix it together, and then you've got manna pudding. 
but you got your opportunities to do something with it. But they got tired of it. They got tired of it. And they began calling it meager food. You leave someone's house and you go home and you drive up to your house and you say, I'm tired of this meager house. You go to your job and say, I'm tired of this meager job. Or you say, I'm tired of this meager relationship. We long for more. We get up every day and we think there has got to be something else out there, something better than the meager existence that I have. And we long for that which gives fulfillment to our soul. And we long for that which gives us what we want. There was a visitor to these, this nation back in the very early days of our nation, a visitor from Europe who came and traveled all over, traveled from north to south, traveled through the country just to see it. His assessment as he traveled through was, there is a strange melancholy in this land of abundance. A strange melancholy. The incompleteness of joy that is found in this world, looking for the things of this world. There is this strange melancholy that some today live. I'm tired of this meagerness. I want more. It's a test. It's a test. A test that we come to that point in our life and say, okay, I recognize the incompleteness of this world. Augustine said, To God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. You saw the quote on the screen earlier from Warren Wiersbe, that a restless heart usually leads to a reckless life. And so it's at that point is that test that comes in our life where we say, okay, this temporary, this temporary that I receive daily, this temporary that I have every day, is it enough to just be satisfying for me that I can live in this temporary or am I always longing for more? That does not mean that you just sit back and are passive and just let life come. Yes, we need to strive and work toward and improve and do things, but it is not the ultimate meaning of our life. It is that which gives us our life, our breath, our, our, our world around us in which we live, but it is not the meaning. It is not that gives us the wind beneath our wings that gives us our life, because when it does, it becomes an idol. And everything on this world has either been an idol or will be an idol for somebody. And when we take these things of this world and say, I am tired of this meager, I want more, and it becomes that striving of your heart, it becomes that idol that leads you away 
from trust and faith in a holy, righteous God. And so the Israelites were at this test. They were at this point where they said, this physical food, it's not enough. And that's where we need to come. We all need to come to that point in our life where we recognize that what this world has for us, the goodness of this world, the blessings of this world, the pleasures of this world, they're here for us to enjoy, but they're not here for us to worship, bow down, and give our life to. So Jesus comes in John chapter 6. And I encourage you to turn to John chapter 6. He had just fed the 5,000. There's a crowd that gathers around. The word begins to seek, seep through the crowds. Who is this man? This one that can do these miracles, who is he? And they go back and they think back to those songs that are in the Pentateuch that speak of this coming king, this one who will reign. And they're wondering, who is this man? Look at verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then, what sign do you do that we may see and believe that, that believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So there is this promised bread from heaven. Just as the promised bread from heaven that God gave to Moses, Jesus said there is a promised bread from heaven. And they said, give us this bread. And so the next verse, you see this promise fulfilled. Then Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. There are several I am statements in the book of John here is one, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So we have this promised bread, the fulfillment of this bread and Jesus coming here on this earth to be with us. One of my favorite passages that I use quite often in Investing in a hospital room is, comes from Lamentations chapter 3, verse 18. Jeremiah walking through the city of Jerusalem that has been destroyed, all of the best and finest of the people carried away in captivity. And he walks through this destroyed city and he says, I remember my bitterness, the wormwood and the gall, and my soul is downcast within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. It is because of the Lord's great mercies we are not consumed. They are new 
every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Every day when you wake and you step out, there before you is the daily supply of God's mercy. That which will supply your heart's need for that day. And you take that in and receive that to nourish your soul so that you can go through that day relying upon the mercy of God. Just as they stepped out and saw that daily manna, we step out and see his daily mercy that he's lavished upon us. Because look down in verse 47. We see this eternal bread. He doesn't just feed a temporary hunger with physical food, but he feeds our very soul. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. It was temporary, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. They were looking for a king who would come and establish an earthly kingdom. He said, I come, I am bread. And what do you do with bread? You break it. And he came and gave his life. His body was broken for us on the cross. And on that cross, he provides for us the salvation for our soul. He provides for us the nourishment for our soul that we can know that we have life with him eternal. And his body was broken for you. For you. Broken for you. And for you. And for you. And for you, body broken for you, that you can receive and have eternal life. You can know about bread. You can get together with a group of people and talk about bread. And it's getting close enough to lunch that you've been thinking about bread. But unless you receive the bread, it does you no good. If you are walking through your life and your statement, I am tired of this meagerness, if that makes you long for more of this world, that is an idol that is worthless to follow. But if that causes you to say, I am tired of the meagerness of this world because it does not satisfy. It's here to help me live my life, but the meagerness of this world is not what feeds me. The bread from heaven, broken for me, is what I live for. And in that, you find your rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I thank you for the beauty of your word. How we can find within your word 
the hope that gives to our life the meaning we need. Thank you for the freedom and the ability to gather here today around your word. Help us to appropriate that into our lives. And may we live faithfully for you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.